Welcome to the Think Customer Podcast. We are Microsoft technologists here to help you raise your rhythm of technical intensity and climb the cloud maturity curve. In each episode, we will talk about the latest and most interesting developments in the Microsoft Cloud and perform deep dives into topics of interest. Welcome to Think Customer Podcast, everybody. So glad you could join us today. I am Dr. Pete, and with me is Shane Bollaccino. And if you have been in the world of multi-cloud for a few years, you may have heard our voices before, maybe seen our faces on some web streams, perhaps seen us at some conferences, or maybe even seen us visit you in your organization. And perhaps over the last couple of years, you may have virtually seen us appearing you know, via teleportation to the screen nearest you. So yes, we have collectively got over maybe around 40 plus years of cloud and tech experience, and we want to take you on a regular journey with us to demystify the Microsoft technology stack and bring you closer to customer success. So Shane, welcome to the show. Thank you, Pete. Welcome back, everyone. It's good to get the band back together. And Pete, 40 plus years. We're getting old. That makes us, that makes us sound like we're really old, to be honest. That's like, uh, I don't know, if you were to say it's like dog years, it'd be even longer. So yes, as you mentioned, listeners, you may have heard our voices or even seen our faces before in other lives, and we've missed hearing from you. So here we are back with a new show. Episode one, a bit of a pilot. We have done these in past lives, but as they say, always be learning. Be it a new programming language, a new concept, a new cloud, always be learning. It's about keeping your saw sharp. So as we get started on this journey, we're here to help you on your cloud journey. But Pete, Let's lay a bit of groundwork for this show. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What's this podcast going to be? Is it going to be for you? Now, the reality is we are here and we're representing Microsoft. The organization has changed, evolved. Now, we want this show to open your mind to new technologies and patterns. We love Microsoft products, but the Azure Cloud, the Microsoft Cloud, you know, it's for everyone, not just Microsoft products. We are technologists at heart. And in this show, we're going to help you see around corners and reach your goals. We value your time. So this show is going to be deep on tech and we'll help you see through the market texture. Indeed, Shane. And look, it's not just about Azure. We're about your success. So we will also jump around back and forth across the, uh, the wide and deep Microsoft tech and uh, Microsoft uh, and non-Microsoft tech stacks with you. So um, we want to make sure that you, know, you, our customers, can actually aspire to get maximum return of your technology investments. Nothing is more important these days than to be able to get some great ROI. Now, so this, this show is about technology in general. Right? It's also about helping you to get started fast and allowing you to go deep wherever you feel like you feel you would like to go deep with this. But also perhaps maybe we can even um, help you see around corners, as you just call that, Shane, to sort of perhaps maybe be your fortune teller, uh, share with you maybe those uh, 40 odd years of tech experience so you can get your results quicker. Uh, and most of all, when you think about it, there are a lot of common industry trends that are taking place. So we also want to take you on a journey into those uh, so that you perhaps can um, implement your technology deployments and technology stacks in the various different shapes and forms, um, maybe with us um, in various formats and flavors. Brilliant. So look, don't just rely on us. We'll bring in lots of other folks to help you on this journey. So these are the tenants of the show, but how about the structure? So tune in each month. What will you hear? Well, it's a great question, Shane. So think customer. And for those of you who may have noticed, CSU 
Tama is uh, the customer success unit, which is actually the team that we are in here at Microsoft. And uh, it's a bit of a play on words. And we would, we really want you to, uh, you know, have a, a balanced view on the deep technology dives in each of our episodes that we're going to embark upon with you to focus on various different topics, um, allowing you to keep, to keep your finger on the pulse of what's actually going on, along with everything that is happening in the Microsoft technology space. So it's not just Azure, Shane. It's about a whole bunch of other things too. Um, and Shane, do you realize how many updates are happening in Azure right now? Because we've had north of 2,000 in the last 12 months. It's huge, isn't it, Pete? So mm. to be clear, we won't be covering all of these, but we'll call out you know, a few choice announcements, but more so, why are they important to you? Why should you use them? And look, we will kick the tires of these for you. Does that sound good to you, listener? But more I hope so. so. I hope so too. <laughs> but more so, look, we want to hear your voice. You know, what do you want to hear about? Drop us a message at thinkcustomer at microsoft.com. Before we get started um, with this core Genesis episode, Pete, broadly speaking, you know, we want to start each show with a bit of an Azure public service announcement. Uh, platform changes such as new regions, edge locations, and so on. The Microsoft Cloud is an ever-moving target. And in the sense of, you know, going global, how are you architecting your stack to take advantages of our broad investment? Well, it's a great question. And, you know, we can actually help you on that journey. We have this wonderful thing called Microsoft Build. It's an event that's actually kicking off in May 24th to 26th. Um, give or take a day, depending which time zone you're actually in <laughs> all around the world. But uh, Microsoft Build is where developers, architects, startups, uh, students uh, all come together to learn, connect and code together, sharing knowledge and essentially, you know, upskilling uh, while exploring new ways of innovating for tomorrow. Um, you can actually go online and register at Microsoft Build. So I highly recommend that you do. So whether you're a developer, engineer, IT professional, a student, like I said, uh, you really should be attending because uh, there will be a whole bunch of latest innovations uh, and announcements. And uh, we're going to actually help you to gain some insights from your peers and experts from all around the world, Shane. So it's uh, very exciting. Very exciting indeed. And just to be clear, it's a virtual event, so you can join in the comfort of your home office, you know, or perhaps you're at work. Or your bedroom, or your kitchen, or, your bedroom. or your wherever you may be working from. I guess uh, COVID's brought in the whole new normal, right? Which is uh, work from anywhere, perhaps even from the beach. That is correct. Now, Pete, since we started on our journey here, because we're relatively new at Microsoft, you've asked me, Shane, what path are you taking to learn? Mm. Now, one of my mechanisms has been virtual training days. So pop Microsoft virtual training days into your favorite search engine and you will see 680 courses. Yes, 680. Some are on demand, but many are instructor-led. And if you are listening to this episode thinking where to start on my learning journey, it's a really good place to learn those you know, cloud fundamentals and even more from what is a region, availability zone, a VNet in Azure Fundamentals. I actually took this about a year ago mm -hmm. through the AI, you know, data and open source databases on Azure. You know, there's plenty here available in multiple time zones, multiple languages. And I'd ask you broadly, you know, what's stopping you? Well, hopefully uh, for many people, I think it's just time, Shane, finding out where to get started, right? But you touched upon something really, really important at least to me, and that is around you know, the global Azure infrastructure. And that's actually made up of two key components. You've got the physical infrastructure and the connective network components that make up you know, all the great connectivity. So the physical components are essentially comprised of over 200 physical data centers, and that's a lot. And these map into what we call regions and availability zones, and these are all connected to each other. 
through one of the largest interconnected networks on the planet. So this connectivity of the global Azure network um, has all of the Azure data centers connected through, you know, highly available, low latent, scalable, um, and very much, uh, you know, core to the cloud infrastructure um, that actually makes up the Azure platform. So we've also got this thing called the Azure Front Door, and an Azure Front Door really is just a way of getting your bits of data flowing through the networks quicker and faster into um, one or more of our edge locations. And currently, we have over the, over 118 edge locations uh, spread across 100 different metro areas. So that's different cities. And in today's episode uh, of the Customer Podcast, we're going to talk to you a little bit briefly about, you know, how to get started and uh, perhaps, you know, demystify some of these numbers and what some of these things mean and hopefully help you to avoid some of the more common pitfalls. Excellent, Pete. Now, if I had to ask you, broadly speaking, what is modern cloud architecture? What does it mean to you? And look, everyone's got a different journey that they're actually on. Every customer is a little bit different. They're a bit of a snowflake in their own, perhaps, journey and adoption maturity curve, uh, if you like. And for me, look, you may still be sitting in a data center contemplating a cloud migration, or you may have already climbed to the top of the curve, so to speak. And maybe you are running thousands of microservices or serverless event-driven architectures that you perhaps cobbled together over the last few years uh, and you are pushing the boundaries of what's possible but it's really different it's a it's a journey that's unique to every organization but the most constant thing about it architectures is that they are a essentially a constant state of flux right i think we've all joked about it having the, the only thing that's you know stands still is, is the change one can actually argue that um, this is perhaps the biggest disruption that we've seen in the it industry forever right every organization is going through a transformation a digital transformation that needs to be needs to evolve Right? And every organization, whether they like it or not, really is a tech company in disguise, right? This is a very profound impact to a whole bunch of non-tech businesses that really need to rethink their tech intensity, Shane. So for me, it's a, it's, a, it's a journey. It's about evolving to the next level. And cloud brings builders you know, way more tools and levers and opportunities to architect in different ways uh, to build systems that are often loosely coupled, right? They scale horizontally, which means they can actually pick, go from one to a million users almost within a few seconds or minutes. Um, it's also about understanding the model and it's, it is really a, a journey, right? Now, it's not just also about Azure. Often we talk about Azure as this is the place you do this, but fundamentally you could also be building business applications, biz apps, or perhaps you could be using Microsoft Teams, one of my favorite platforms, right? Uh, and you're building extensions or plugins or, 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 or chatbots or we call collaborative applications. Um, and each of these have their own fun functional requirements. In other words, things are going to make you more productive and more effective in your business. So all the bells and whistles and that go into those systems but also there are non-functional requirements. And that's the bits where, where I truly believe whether you're going from 10 users to 10 million users. And I think COVID has taught many organizations you can go from zero to absolute massive growth literally within minutes because of you know a flash event of some sort or, or something that's actually an opportunity for everyone to jump on and get access to. And for me, modern architectures really need to be able to be flexible, to scale, to evolve, to heal themselves, and essentially to leverage the actual infrastructure that they're actually running on to the best of the end user needs. And whether it's an infrastructure as a service, so you're building your own code and you know in a VM or using a serverless infrastructure, or perhaps you're using biz apps and you're using a no-code, low-code opportunity, each of those have got their own benefits of essentially being a modern architecture. So what I'm hearing here, Pete, is cloud brings that new paradigm, new levers, new tools for businesses to be able to build hmm. 
and achieve ultimately their business goals. Now, looking at the context of the Microsoft Cloud, I see this as, you know, we provide our customers that resilient foundation where customers, you know, build upon. So we've got this foundation, we've got all the tools, the levers. We provide those physical things like data centers, which you just mentioned, as well as software things like our deployments and maintenance processes and many higher order services, Hmm. things like APIs and so on. You know, things that remove a lot of the heavy lifting. Uh, we were just talking earlier about, you know, using Azure Cognitive Services and the Face API to do, you know, uh, face detection in mm-hmm. pictures. Fantastic, right? So it's those services that reduce that heavy lifting, reducing the time to value and operational burden. Now, this may sound like a marketing description, but it's quite true. Think about the conversations you're having at the water cooler. Now, I'm going to say Kubernetes is very topical. Almost all organizations are, you know, heading in the path of containers, again, popular and for good reasons, and they're orchestrating them via Kubernetes. But what is the value in hand-rolling your own Kubernetes cluster? Is it business differentiating? Products like Azure Kubernetes Service exist to accelerate your time to value and taking it a step further. Do you even care what is running your container? You know, Azure Container Apps takes it one step further, throw us your container and we'll run it for you. The conversation has shifted from low value in most cases, you know, in running, rolling your own stack through to shipping product and getting it done faster. And Chen, I think a lot of this comes back to, you know, what, how can I get CPU cycles for the lowest cost, right? And I think whether it's containers, whether it's VMs, whether it's serverless, what have you, I think at the end of the day, it's really about what is the lowest cost to serve a customer? Right? What is the cost of a transaction from a compute cost? Because at the end of the day, you can start to roll this stuff up into seeing perhaps what your green, you know, your, your carbon footprint impact of, of compute happens to be, right? Very topical for a lot of organizations that are reporting this now as a, as a, as a bottom line inside of a, an annual report all the way through to, hey, can we get do more with less? So I think it's really interesting. So look, for me, exciting times. But I think for many of you who are listening, uh, it's also coming down to how do you get started, right? So if you're new to Microsoft Cloud and there's, uh, lots of bits that we're going to be diving into over the next, you know, hopefully many, many more episodes to come. Uh, I do want to perhaps get you thinking about that there is actually a free tier in the Microsoft Azure. Now, the, the Microsoft Cloud is, is extremely big, powerful platform that you can actually take and pick up a whole bunch of different systems and applications and whether you're going to run, you know, WebEx, VMs, um, you know, your Kubernetes clusters, your logic apps or what have you. Um, there are lots of services. In fact, there's probably over 200 plus of those. We talked about the Face API as part of the cognitive services. We also, earlier before the show kicked off, we were talking about, you know, databases and different technologies like Cosmos DB, uh, all of these which will demystify in, in a near term. However, I do really want to come back to how much will it cost me? And I think the answer is, if you look at the free tier, you will cost you very much nothing. And we have a 12 months worth of a free tier that actually gives you lots of access to infrastructure, uh, which is super useful because all of a sudden you can actually get started, kick the tires of cloud innovation um, and see where it takes you, Shane. Yeah, exactly. So look, head over to azure.microsoft.com forward slash free, and this will take you to the landing page of the free account offer. Now, you can explore to see what's included, but look, broadly speaking, you've got Linux and Windows virtual machines, you've got block and object storage, you've got some NoSQL database, and you've got some APIs. There's plenty of stuff you can do there. So look, for instance, you can get 750 hours free of a Windows virtual machine. Now, you can spend this over 12 months, um, and 
once you've pivoted past that, you know, free 750 hours, you can then transition to a pay-as-you-go model. So it allows you to give you, you know, a bit of a taste for free on what is on offer. And look, with the Azure free account, you're eligible to receive $200 worth of US dollars in credit, which will be able to get used up within the first 30 days of Azure services. Now, any unused credits, unfortunately, can't be carried over to any other subscriptions you may have set up or transferred to somebody else. But within those 30 days of signing up, essentially burn through the $200 credit or perhaps... um, if you don't, unfortunately, you will, you will forfeit what's left, left over, but you can then convert your account into what we call a pay-as-you-go subscription, uh, which will then remove any spending limits. And you can still access all of the Azure free services fundamentally, but then if you are adventurous, you can start to spin up more and experiment and perhaps do new and more wonderful things with uh, those 200 plus different services. Brilliant. Now, look, some services, though, are always free and they have a free tier. So from app services through to Azure Functions and another 15 or so. So understand the free tier as it can be quite powerful. Now, a bit of a fun fact, uh, for many who know me personally, I just bought a new bike. But given the high demand and low supply, you know, think GPUs on the market, you know, other uh, items, I had to resort to writing a program to keep track of the manufacturer's website. I actually authored a piece on how I bought this bike. But in order to run this, I... I built some code, right? This experiment. And for this experiment, one could use Azure Functions to execute my Python in the free 1 million requests each month. So the free tier is really awesome. And look, it doesn't have to be just Shane buying his next uh, road bike. (laughs) So I'm glad you managed to actually buy. And I hope you put some smart logic so you didn't actually buy 10 bikes just by accident because that could be the side benefit of automation. But look, um, when you think about things like uh, cognitive services, all of the great AI things that we actually have for you in the cloud. I mean, these services provide you essentially AI as a service. They come with pre-trained machine learning models and algorithms that are pre-packaged through a programmatic API, which you can call from any application including things like Python. And if you look at, for example, Face API, which I think is kind of cool, and I've had my kids playing with it. And uh, you know, you can spin up an instance and uh, send images to it of any person or persons, in fact, in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a photo. Um, and what the service will actually tell you is the person's, whether, whether there is actually a face in frame or not. Uh, they can tell you whether perhaps it's a male or a female. It can estimate the age, facial hair, glasses, emotions, emotional state, what have you. Um, and as Shane said, you know, you can actually get that within a free tier and the free tier gives you 30,000 transactions per month, which I think is quite substantial, Shane. Absolutely. So there's no hiding your age here, Pete, or me as well. Getting started, you know, can cover a lot more from your payment model. But Pete, if we're talking about getting started on the right foot, if there is one hot tip for anyone getting started on their cloud journey, it would be to develop a sound tagging strategy. Now, Pete, I'm going to ask you here, I'm going to test your, uh, you know, technical might here. What is a tag in the context of Azure? Well, just the way you have a tag on the back of your shirt, perhaps, or any garment, in fact, um, a tag usually has some extra information or meta information. And in the context of cloud, tags are essentially key value pairs that are organized around Azure resources. Now, the great thing about that is you can actually apply tags to individual resources or groups of resources that they are a part of. And what you can do with that is actually assign certain meaning and semantics to that, right? So um, you can do this to sort of basically say, hey, here is the owner of the system, or here is the accounting uh, ID, for example, that there should be uh, charges applied for that particular virtual machine or that resource in the cloud. Um, It can be set up for additional things like quickly locating 
additional metadata or information that perhaps is internal to the application. More often or not, it's quite often used for things like chargebacks and showbacks. Uh, so generally for accounting purposes, but if I was to throw out a ninja tip here, Shane, at you, and I would say, think about what automation can do for you with tagging. Right? And it can do a lot of things. For example, you can use it to turn off your infrastructure past a certain given date. So you can actually give expiry dates to you know, your applications and systems in the cloud and uh, you know, by applying some really clever uh, automation and maybe like a, you know, a serverless function of some sort, you can actually decommission your stacks or perhaps send an email to somebody about something that relates to that infrastructure or if the infrastructure or that service is turned off, it may actually also trigger certain things. So you have almost unlimited opportunities to tie in things like logic applications or your own scripts or your own applications that can actually do self-monitoring and I guess reflect on, its, on itself, observe itself and perhaps take certain actions. So there's a lot of really cool stuff. So for example, you could stamp when things were being spun up as an example, as a part of your automation script. And then you'd know how long something's been up and running. Uh, if you are building certain applications that you know have a very short lifetime, then maybe you can, you know, or maybe a version number of the application. It's quite often it's hard to tell what's running inside a virtual machine. So you could use tagging for that as well. They're brilliant. So look, tags, you know, they can be applied and read from tools such as, you know, the Azure CLI, PowerShell, and many more. And whilst I don't have my virtual whiteboard here, you know, they're similar to the, you know, the get, update, and new commands. You know, you want to get some tags, you want to update some tags, you want to create some new tags. Now, I'll give you a practical and fun example of how tags can be used. Now, I've seen tags used in a lot of places, and I, but I used to work for an organization that made people scan in and out of the building. So a tag swipe would generate an event that was emitted by the security system. You know, Shane has arrived as an example, then all the resources that I'm a part of would be passed. And if they were not on, they'd be powered on. And conversely, there's logic to deem when the last person from a team was done for the day and the resources would be shut down. Now, remember listeners, cloud is a pay-as-you-go model. So not only can you use tags from a governance perspective, the automation benefits are huge and many resources in Azure support up to 50 tags per resource. So tag away, I say. Now, before you embark, Shane, yes, Pete. It's also very important to call us out that you got to have a tagging strategy, right? You really, really do. important. I was about to say that. You've uh, stolen my thunder. Before you embark on your journey <laughs> in your favorite search engine, perform a search for you know something like Azure Tagging Strategy, to which you will find plenty of guidance from our documentation and even the cloud adoption framework. Tagging was my one tip. But if there was one thing I would ask of our listeners to be aware of, it is something called the Well-Architected Framework. It's a great read. It's a framework, not in the sense of, say, TOGAF, but it's pretty synonymous in the land of hyperscale cloud providers. And it provides what I like to think of a good amount of common sense for building in the cloud. And look, things have changed, Shane, and that's actually a quite a good thing. you know. And remember, listeners, that everything can and probably will fail all the time in the cloud. Just the, you know, Failure is critical to everything that you perhaps you are architecting. And certainly the well-architected framework will get you to think along those lines as well. Very, very important because you don't really know when a VM may potentially get rebooted underneath you. And if you have a thousand VMs, you kind of have a very much a, you know, an architecture and a strategy to be able to deal with failure in your system. So it's really important to think about the shared responsibility model. And what I mean by that is Microsoft takes responsibility for security and you know, the operational excellence of the infrastructure, which is the cloud that you're using, 
And it's your responsibility as a customer and partner to, to think about the resources that you build on top of the cloud. And there are, this, 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 this is implied for a security model where, you know, obviously, you know, we're not going to let anyone into the data center to take your stuff and, you know, infrastructure out of the building. Uh, and likewise, you want to make sure you lock down your applications and systems to ensure that no one can actually remotely, no bad actors can actually get in. Uh, but that, this, this does actually require a different way of thinking. And the Azure Well Architecture Framework is a set of guiding tenants, essentially, that you can use to improve the quality of your workloads that are running in the cloud. And the framework consists of five different pillars, and it's really your guide to ensure that you're building su successfully in the cloud. Now, there are also sets of other documents that you can consume as a part of this, and there's also an assessment tool that you can use at the Microsoft Assessment Center to assess your workloads against the framework pillars. So, for example, whether it's cost optimization, operational excellence, uh, performance efficiency, uh, reliability and security, all of those pillars can be looked at so that you can have a multi-dimensional lens when you actually look at your cloud infrastructure and how it's running. And look, I would just add to that, Pete, if it is a business critical workload that you cannot afford to go offline, a review is only going to take you 60 minutes or so, and it is a relatively small investment that could pay you back handsomely. Now, if we were to look a little bit deeper at each of the pillars on the cost front, so we're talking cost optimization, remember cloud brings a new dimension to the table. This is not your normal co-location. We have over 200 services with that count growing, you know, on a near daily basis you know, or feature updates. New Lego blocks for you to construct your solution with. The rules have changed. Cost optimization is important, but now more than ever. So you may be thinking, hey, you know, why is my bill so high? Why am I spending, you know, what am I spending the most on? These are really thought provoking questions. Um, but, you know, I would ask, you know, how are you consuming your Azure updates? Remember, you know, newer, faster, and cheaper forms of compute are arriving regularly. So how are you staying not only up to date, but how are you migrating to these? How are you right-sizing? Remember, it's an OpEx model. How do you pivot to, you know, turning resources off that you aren't using? And look, when you're actually going through and looking at these things, it can perhaps feel a little bit daunting. So I'm going to give a plug here to the, uh, the technical community here at Microsoft. And whether, you know, um, you feel like this is a bit too much to do on your own, please feel free to reach out to your friendly cloud solution architect or a customer engineer. Um, and we can actually sit down with you and actually walk you through these and go through each of these pillars. So, for example, you know, when you look at the performance efficiency pillar, you know, you want to think about leveraging the Azure tools to improve your workload's performance and improve the application management side of it too, right? So thinking about, you know, Azure, there's uh, lots of things to consider like functions, containers, and new versions of this or that. Uh, and, you know, how are you taking advantage of these to provide scale and performance for you and your organization? So we can certainly help you with that. Um, but also when you think about it, you know, how are you keeping up to date with these changes and whether, you know, you read the blogs or you subscribe to newsletters or perhaps maybe talk to us, uh, we can certainly help you along this journey. I'm going to take that, Pete, as a question. How am I keeping up with these changes? Yeah. How do you do it, Shane? How do you do it? How do I do it? Okay. You spoke about Teams earlier before. Now, for me, I love uh, looking through feeds of information. So I have the RSS feed being pushed into Teams via, you know, an integration. It's a really great way. I've got a channel out there and I just get, you know, a constant, uh, I'm going to say a fire hose, but, you know, a constant stream of changes that are happening on our platform. You know, five or so a day, I start up in the morning and I click on, you know, Azure <laughs> updates, the channel I created and it just shows me. So really, really simple. And it's important because just, you know, as a doctor, may have prescribed medicine to treat an illness, you know, 25 years ago, 
Today, they probably treat it differently. Azure is a moving target with new services and compute offerings you know, that allow you to achieve the same business outcome at a cheaper price. You know, how are you accounting for these cyclical updates in your stack? There are tools in Azure to help you actively respond to performance issues. As Pete mentioned, you know, you've got App Insights. Um, and these are going to allow you, you know, to give you that rich telemetry to help you make better decisions on the performance front. And look, on the trade-offs front, you know, you're probably used to making lots of trade-offs in IT, but does cost optimization and performance need to be mutually exclusive? Not so much in Azure, right? And, you know, you've got options and levers like, you know, using spot instances through to horizontal scaling of workloads via the various different, you know, technology options that we've actually got on the table, right? You can think about, you know, um, reducing the cost and burden to maintain your environments by perhaps using things like uh, um, ARM templates, which are the Azure Resource Manager templates, or perhaps BICEP templates um, that actually helps you scale down smaller versions of production environments or maybe rescaling or redeploying them differently. So, so everything is here and is there are lots of abilities for you to make very much decisions around that rich telemetry and every Azure service is when it's turned on it emits lots of telemetry into Azure Monitor so that, that way you can actually have a closer look at to see what's actually going on and perhaps you know use automation that be your friend to make some very important you know perhaps real-time decisions on your behalf and when it comes to operational excellence pillar within the well framework, you know, that pillar focuses on the use of built-in tools in Azure to help you improve your workload performance. So you can leverage technologies like Azure Automation, the Azure CLI that Sheng was referring to earlier, Azure PowerShell to help you move away from perhaps ClickOps. And ClickOps is when you're in the console clicking away, right? Clickety-clack. So my ninja tip for you today is if you're using ClickOps in the console, that's, that's totally okay. But did you realize that in the Azure portal, you can also obtain the Azure PowerShell or the Azure CLI commands for everything that you just did? And you can then download these, even if you don't have or use Azure CLI or PowerShell installed. You can actually do this inside the Azure Cloud Shell in the portal itself. So you can actually start to automate much of your journey, which I think is very, very cool. And also moving on, I mean, you can obtain visibility of your fundamental infrastructure and deep application data as well to ensure appropriate management of your workload. So you can look at things like Azure Application Insights and your Azure Monitor and combine these two wonderful tools to help you figure out and you know, keep your finger on the pulse of pretty much almost everything that's happening inside your environment. Yeah, it's, it's good, isn't it, Pete? So look, Reliability speaking, okay, things have changed. Building reliable applications in the cloud means, you know, whilst you can't prevent a single instance from failing, you can prevent your application totally failing. So after all, it's about reliability and we want your application stacks to stay online. In Azure, your stack is based on resilient services. They're built by Microsoft, but they're operated by you, our customers. They're built into the platform, this resiliency, so that your workloads that need high availability and resiliency, it, they have them. So, you know, there are levers like VM scale sets, availability zones, failure domains, through to multiple regions, you know, there's any cast-based IP routing via Azure Front Door. I mean, you know, these are the tools and levers that builders need to be aware of when architecting and building your apps in the cloud. Pete mentioned failures are a given and everything will eventually fail over time. You know, can you imagine, you know, walking through a colo and pulling out cables, you know, would your, you know, on-prem SQL server survive? So it's about building apps that are smart enough to detect failure and then reroute. Um, you know, if that express route goes offline so that private MPLS network connectivity, then, you know, what is the cost to your business? 
So look, fear not, in Azure, there are tools to mitigate all of these scenarios, and this can be codified. Um, and you know, something that I really, really like is the recent release of Azure Chaos Studio, where you can simulate chaos events in your environment. You know, from designing for reliability using core services, through to the ability to test and simulate failure. So fear not, in Azure, there are tools to help mitigate these scenarios, and this all can be codified. And with the recent release of Azure Chaos Studio, which I really like, you know, you can simulate chaos events in your environment, such as, you know, turning off machines, creating routing uh, table rules that don't work, etc. And look, I'm a big fan of chaos engineering. It's an awesome way to throw random things at your architecture and your solution and learn about what actually breaks, right? And, and breaking things in weird and wonderful ways is really what we're trying to achieve here because you'll find out some really interesting uh, failure scenarios that perhaps you never architected for or have been aware of. Uh, and it's a really great way to figure out how your architecture stands up when there are lots of little partial failures taking place. I think it's a pretty cool thing. So really, this is all a part, part of the well-architected framework, right? And the final pillar, I guess, in, in, in this is the security pillar, which is another great pillar that I love talking about because, you know, how can you ensure that you are building a secure foundation for your business, right? I mean, you know, well architected will teach you how to apply security principles to your architecture to protect against, you know, attackers and bad actors, both on your systems and your data. And that's really, really important to think about it because security is one of those most important aspects potentially of any architecture, right? Provides, you know, confidence, integrity, and essentially, you know, an assurance against deliberate attacks and abuses of your systems. Now, losing these assurances can lead to really negative impact for your business, for your, for your brand, for your revenue, for your customers, and really it's going to have a massive snow and snowball effect on your reputation in the market. Now, the security pillar will really help you to focus and consider your architecture from a security principle perspective. And it's really, really key to make sure that you actually think about some of these things, right? So whether it's looking at things like your firewall rules at layer seven, whether it's looking at OWASP top 10, if you look at the Azure Security Center, all of these things will actually be there. And you can certainly go through checklists and with Azure Sentinel, um, you can also identify and mitigate many of these threats in your applications, in your tech. And what's really cool about it, you can even go multi-cloud. So if you are, happen to be living in a multi-cloud world, and many of us are, so whether using you know, other cloud providers other than Azure and Microsoft, that's cool with us too. We can actually pull in lots of information from there and actually help you make the right security decisions to make sure you have great visibility of what's going on. And look, and security is complex. There's a lot of dependencies and interdependencies within a number of different contexts, which all of which will lead to potentially affecting a business. So you really need to think about, you know, as you design your system to be really aware of the tools and levers that are at your disposal so that you can ensure that you can leverage the security pillar to your advantage when you look at and assess your security posture. There is plenty to take in there. We could probably do an episode. A whole episode on this. Exactly. Yes. Maybe we Maybe. should. Let us know. It, yeah. Well architected, it is in the name. And if there's anything we want you to take away, it is, you know, when you build on the Microsoft Cloud, if you are starting on the platform or perhaps you have many workloads out there, whenever you build, look through the lens of well architected. This is about advancing your maturity. And as Pete mentioned earlier, it's about reducing the risk of your tech stack. Pete, I think we've covered a lot today. Now, I want to ask you, you know, how do you keep on top of all that is Microsoft Cloud? And maybe we have to save this for a future episode. But if there is one announcement that caught your eye on the platform recently, what was it? 
look, I try to read as much as I can and watch videos and um, like everybody else, read blogs. Um, but there is actually one of uh, my, my recent new feature, by the way. And uh, when I think of Microsoft technology and cloud offerings, I also think of Microsoft Teams. Um, again, it's something that I use every day like you uh, and many, you know, and millions of other people all around the world. And um, there's been a new feature actually brought to Microsoft Teams, and it's actually around high fidelity support for music. Um, so if you are trying to record a podcast potentially or do your own thing, or perhaps you are a music teacher or a music student or just would like to have better quality audio in Microsoft Teams, we've actually increased um, that fidelity by going to settings devices and uh, enabling high fidelity music mode, uh, you will actually get a little note popping up and appearing as an icon at the top of your Microsoft Teams bar. Um, and Teams will actually increase its uh, bit rate to 32 kilohertz sampling rate at 128 kilobits per second, which is pretty good quality, especially for a whole bunch of uh, musical high fidelity audio capabilities. So uh, that's one of my favorite chain at the moment. Uh, there is also another feature where you can actually, you know, adjust your beauty by, uh, you know, increasing some softness around your face. There's a few bits of uh, functionality like that, which I won't go into right now because I've never used that feature. But certainly audio is an important one for me. I'll have to look that one up. Now, look, for me, whilst I don't often comment on new releases of technology, you know, with each new generation, you might get a faster CPU or perhaps a different machine learning framework. It's an evolution in many aspects and not really business differentiating, right? It's the same, same, right? Now, on the 4th of April, in case you missed it, there was an announcement that really caught my eye. It was something I've been looking forward to for a very long time. And it was the announcement that Azure is bringing on platform ARM-based compute. Now, if you're in Azure, yay. Okay, not to be confused with ARM templates, right? Exactly right. Okay, we're not talking Azure Resource Manager. I'm talking ARM, the CPU architecture. So based on the Ampere Ultra ARM-based processor, why am I excited about this? Look, it's simple. It is the cost to performance ratio. Yes, you know, mm -hmm. we spoke about using those levers that is could be like a reserve instance or a spot instance. But it's only going to take you so far. Now, ARM is another lever in your toolbox. You know, it is up to 50% cheaper for the same performance as an x86 offering. You know, that is quite game-changing. Let that sink in. Up to 50% cheaper for the same compute. You know, let me pay more, said no customer ever. Now, these are based on, we're calling these instances the DPSV5 and the EPSV5 Azure VM series. Uh, as mentioned, they feature the Ampere Ultra ARM-based processor, clock speeds up to 3 gigahertz, uh, you know, various different configurations, up to 64 vCPUs, 248 gig per vCPU memory configurations, and up to 40 gigabits networking with high-performance SSDs, optional. Look, simplifying the why, you know, this architecture uses significantly less power, so we're talking TDP. Um, and look, data centers like us, you know, we can significantly increase the density of our compute without requiring more power and cooling. So look, ultimately it's using less power, so it's greener, and we can pack more into the same space. And look, Shane, look, to, to be honest, look, there's a lot of stuff you've just gone through and uh, we have gone from introductory to deep, <laughs> deep and nerdy in the weeds. But like you said, I think the key point here really is that, you know, less power, more compute, more bang for buck. And to the comments I made earlier at the start of the show, it's really about trying to make sure you can reduce the cost to serve your customers, right, through IT. And I think, you know, if you look at, look at um, ARM technologies, they're a great opportunity to actually help be more greener, more efficient, reduce the power consumption, be, be 
the friendly to do, to do the planet, but they've only got one of it. So it's more sustainable, but also it gives you just as much flexibility as, you know, Intel and AMD. Exactly right. And look, I love how you mentioned cost to serve. You know, you mentioned it earlier, you know, how are you measuring what it costs to serve? If you're a online shop, what does it cost per customer transaction? Always be measuring because if you can't measure, if you aren't measuring, you can't improve. Um, look, Pivoting back though, look, so if you are running a compiled script engine, you know, like Python, C, Node, PHP, Java, .NET Core, etc., or a stack that has been ported, uh, you know, a lot of open sources already, typically there's little to no effort required to move over. Now, the humble Raspberry Pi, you know, tens of millions have been sold around the world is ARM64 based. And it's done a lot of this heavy lifting from an industry perspective. And look, with Apple, um, you know, moving to Apple Silicon, their M1 series of processors, again, ARM-based, you know, it is continuing this evolution. So look, if it runs on a Pi, which, you know, a lot of things do these days, then it will run on these new instance types, rule of thumb. So whilst your COTS application today may not support the ARCH64 architecture, it very well may be in the future. Now, these VMs are currently in preview. Uh, they support Ubuntu Linux, CentOS, and a Windows 11 professional enterprise um, on ARM. So there'll be more OS support arriving in the near future for more, I guess, commercial Linux operating systems such as Red Hat and SUSE and Debian. They're available today only in US West 2, US uh, West Central, and West Europe Azure regions. And look, if you can leverage these, I would strongly encourage it. The, the wonderful power of you know of the operating system and the abstraction and the ability to cross compile applications and port them, um, you know, or just in time compile them right as you do with .NET. It doesn't really matter. That, that hardware abstraction is so good, um, and you know, like I said, it comes back to the total economics, the cloud economics, as I also refer to it, right? For for those of us who are looking at building solutions that are cost effective, that give us a great ROI, and then hopefully don't disrupt us. To the point where we're having, you know, paper cuts because of such new technologies. I think this is a great example of something that's coming along in such a way that it's uh, it's 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 low effort and it's high return. Well, Pete, my friend, I think we're at time for this inaugural session. I had a lot of fun here. Look, me too. But we covered a great deal of ground in this session, right? We spoke about, you know, the tenants of the show and uh, what you hopefully will hear from us in the future. And look, it's not just about Azure. It's about, you know, what, it's about your success. It's about, you know, how can we jumpstart, you know, you in terms of the wide and deep, you know, technologies of Microsoft on, and, on, and non-Microsoft technology because of modern architectures, you know, and actually hopefully to, uh, you know, uh, inspire you to uh, a greater level of return on investment from some of these technologies that are perhaps, uh, you know, available to you every single day. And look, after settling the direction of the show, and you know, we also focused a little bit about, you know, the modern cloud architecture and you know, the game changes that are coming along to you in your architecture and your tech stacks. Um, and how can we perhaps help you to, you know, climb that curve, Shane? Exactly right, Pete. Look, Tagging, if there is one thing we can both say with confidence is when you are building a cloud, spend the time and derive a tagging strategy. This rich metadata can aid your organization in so many ways. So before you get too deep on your journey, think about tagging. We also spoke about well-architected. It's a design methodology ultimately to help advance your maturity of your workloads in the cloud. So whenever you build on Azure, build on the Microsoft cloud, think well-architected. And lastly, you know, we discussed a few updates on platform, Pete. 
We did, but also I want to call it the most important one, free, 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 the Azure free tier. We covered that as well. So that way, hopefully by now you can appreciate where your, where your $200 credit can go to and how we can actually leverage you know, many of the free services way, way, way beyond that and use them for up to 12 months, and if not forever. Exactly. All right. So, Pete, I think we're done. But listeners, so did today resonate with you? What do you want to hear about? Drop us a message. We'd love to hear from you. Think customer at Microsoft.com. Well, that's all that we have time for today, Shane. And team, thank you for joining us and listening and tuning into the show. So I hope this show did resonate with you. Right? Tell us what you want to hear and let us know what perhaps what topics of interest you'd like us to cover in future upcoming episodes. So Shane, thanks for your time. Thanks for your time, Pete. But until next time, bye for now and keep on building. Have fun, everybody. Keep on building. <laughs>